First up, to potential changes to our ballooning superannuation sector, how it's governed and its essential purpose. It'll be a key talking point at next week's job summit. It's important because our financial system is undergoing profound changes with superannuation assets now rivaling the big four banks' assets in their sheer wealth. Super assets now exceed $3 trillion. And KPMG predicts that by 2025, more than eight funds will each manage in excess of $125 billion. Staggering numbers. So the debate's now shifting into whether this homegrown sector could better serve the Australian economy. Could it help, for instance, with nation building, with some of those wicked problems like social housing or decarbonising? But does this possibility compromise the primary purpose of superannuation to maximise returns for people to use in their retirement? There is certainly a lot to discuss, and I'm pleased to welcome now Matthew Linden and Richard Holden to do so. Matthew's the Deputy Chief Executive of Industry Super Australia, and Richard Holden is Professor of Economics at UNSW. Hi, Geraldine. Um, Now, this new round of debate was directly sparked by uh, the uh, comments of um, Paul Keating, the former Prime Minister, uh, at uh, the superannuation roundtable on Monday. This is a society that can't house its own children. If super funds just think they can go and buy tech stocks in America and highways in Italy, they're going to run into trouble. Without being heavy-handed, there is a requirement of the funds to look at social opportunities. And then the Treasurer, current Treasurer Jim Chalmers, said this on RN Breakfast on Thursday. There are a number of examples now in our economy where the interests of fund members, workers, the interests of funds, the interests of the budget, the interests of the national economy are in many ways intertwined, if not inseparable. And if we can find ways to get good returns for Australian workers in their super accounts, from investing in areas where we obviously need investment, housing and uh, the energy transition are just two examples of that, then we can find these win-wins. And the critics of that position are deliberately misrepresenting my view. I'm not for one minute saying that we should trade off uh, returns for members. That is the purpose of the superannuation system, to deliver that decent retirement, which shouldn't be beyond us to find ways to do that Uh, while we invest in our national priorities. We've got a housing shortage. Uh, We've got the need to invest in cleaner and cheaper energy and how we transmit it and all the rest of it. Superannuation industry understands that. The banks understand that. I think the Australian people would support that. We just need to do the work to find the best way to do it. So, Matthew Linden, is this an invitation Big Super simply cannot decline? Well, look, I mean, it is very a very different attitude to that which was expressed by the previous government. So it's welcome in that respect. Jim Chalmers is right in saying that it is a very large pool of capital, domestic capital, which we have. Um, you know, I think one of only about five or six advanced economies where these long-term pension savings exceed GDP. It's an immense amount of capital. And so long as uh, the funds have front of mind the financial interests of members, uh, we know that they're going to invest as diversely as possible across the economy, um, both domestically here in Australia but also offshore shore as well, to try and achieve the best risk-adjusted returns for members. Yeah, but- and in the, co- in the course of doing so, they're likely to be investing uh, in areas where there is going to be economic spin-offs and even social benefits as well. 
Hmm. But you just, even that, you said uh, the financial interests of members, but it, it is a more specific, isn't it? The current is the primary purpose of the superannuation system, I know because my accountant tells me, is that you have to invest in your retirement. And obviously the clear purpose is to get the best the best yield for you. Now, um, are, are you in, is this in any way being watered down in your view? No, I don't believe so. Um, there is likely to be very soon some legislation that the government will bring forward around the objective of superannuation, um, which will make it crystal clear. Um, we're yet to see what the detail of that will look like, but we expect it will be very firmly focused on uh, the funds providing uh, uh, preserved benefits uh, to assist people in their retirement in combination with the age pension. Okay. Now, Richard Holden, you have written, um, you're a bit concerned about this, I think, uh, being blurry, and you think there's some real dangers here. What are they in your view? Well, I think the dangers are exactly what just came up, is whether there's a win-win or whether we will be asking superannuation funds to require their members to take a lower return, to give up some of their retirement savings in order to do these nation-building projects, and that's the real concern. So it's, it's easy to talk about win-wins, but, you know, do they really exist? I don't think for a moment that there isn't a housing affordability crisis in this country. I've written about it for years and proposed ways to deal with it. We've got a housing affordability crisis because we don't have sufficient land releases, because we have strong zoning requirements, because we have big subsidies on the demand side, such as negative gearing and so on. The answer to uh, the social housing problem is a government needs to spend more on social housing rather than require workers through their retirement savings to foot the bill for it. Is it possible that you could do both, particularly the decarbonising? I notice in the, because there's been some very interesting writing, um, that the decarbonising challenge where there's real money to be made, I think that's the, this is the issue here, people are not sure about either aged care or social housing, but in decarbonising there's real money that could be made that you could imagine a better collaboration between this gigantic pool of capital and the banks um, and people. Well, I think that's right. If there's a good, I think it's about creating opportunities for this 3.3 or $3.4 trillion of superannuation savings to be put to work. So if there are really attractive opportunities in Australia, then I've no doubt that the super funds would like to invest here rather than looking for opportunities, uh, as Paul Keating said, you know, on, on toll roads in Italy and so on. Uh, and I'm sure that's right. So I think the focus on creating these attractive investment opportunities is the right focus rather than, than talking about almost a a mandated or leaning on super funds to reallocate their resources. Well, what what are the possibilities of change? Because you've said that there are some interesting ideas emerging because we have got this huge pool of capital in Australia. Well, there are, there are some interesting ideas on the housing side. So there's almost no uh, what's known as uh, sort of build-to-rent sector in Australia, which is very common overseas. So people who build housing developments, usually units, apartments, with the idea of renting them out. And there are a variety of reasons to do with tax treatment and some sort of detailed things about that. But if you created a whole new asset class then all of a sudden that could become a really attractive thing for super funds to invest in. You mentioned decarbonisation opportunities. That's definitely another real potential. I think it's this idea of looking 
uh, as to where we can create attractive investment opportunities that are that are just good market-based investment opportunities for super funds to invest their members' retirement savings in. I've no doubt that if, it's a, if it comes down to a tiebreaker between invest in Australia or invest overseas, of course super funds would like to invest in Australia. The tricky thing comes when you say, why don't you just take like 1% less to invest in aged care facilities in Australia rather than toll roads in Italy. And that's where that conflict comes up. And I'm just going to come back to that because I think this is that's what's crucial about this. Um, but, for instance, uh, I noticed Bri- um, Barry Harrop, who's uh, from Thrive Construct Australia Proprietary Limited, um, wrote a piece, a very arresting piece, saying currently Australia's super funds are sending off to the US hundreds of millions of dollars annually for investment in their build-to-rent because of generous tax breaks that don't exist in Australia. And, you know, that was very blunt. So you're saying, are you, Richard, that that's up to the government to then uh, introduce those generous tax breaks and then let uh, the market establish an industry but don't actually ask super funds to do this for them. Is that essentially it? That's exactly right, which is don't ask super funds to force their members to take a below commercial rate return. If you've got a good idea, investing in social housing, investing in build to rent, a whole lot of green energy opportunities, if the government is going to subsidise those things that make them commercially viable as well as socially productive, then sure, that's a win-win. But saying, look, we're not going to do the hard work as government of of actually subsidising these things, of building in the social value into the economic return. We're just going to ask this pot of money over here that seems convenient to take a haircut and invest in it. I think that's where individuals lose out in their retirement savings and it's really, uh, it's, it's a shortcut from government and it's a shortcut that they can't really take. <laughs> the dog agrees, obviously. Um, yep. uh, Matthew, what if you were up front to yep. members and you said... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, look, would you like to take a 1% or 2% drop in order to mm. be part of this sort of solving mm. a systemic problem? Mm. It's, it's your dog, is it? <laughs> it is. Okay. To, in, to solve this systemic problem um, facing Australian workers. Yeah, look, I don't think anyone's asking superannuation funds uh, to invest in things which are not commercial and which they'd earn below market rates for their members. And I don't think that that's what the government's uh, proposing here at all. Um, There are fiduciary duties uh, which trustees have um, to ensure that they act in the best interests of their members. That includes the best financial interests and there's uh, some explicit changes to the law which have occurred in the last year or so to that effect. Um, What, making it more, more onerous or less onerous, do you mean? Oh, well, to focus, if there was an, I don't think there was a need to within our part of the, the industry to focus on, you know, the best interests of members, but it's very explicit in the law now that trustees need to make decisions in the best financial interests this of members. This is all post-Hain, I take it. Yes, yeah, mm. it is. Mm. Um, but uh, look, there, I think we do need to recognise that governments can't solve uh, all of the challenges which they have. Their uh, balance sheets are maxed out. Uh, and this means that there are uh, very likely constraints in respect to uh, their capacity to address these issues. And they, I think, as I have over very many years, look to what role the private sector potentially can play where there's uh, a potential alignment of interests. And uh, affordable housing is one aspect of that. There's a whole spectrum of investments 
when it comes to uh, to housing. And it is true that uh, some funds have chosen to invest offshore. Uh, however, there is the opportunity potentially to do so domestically. Some of the funds uh, are already participating in, in build, build to rent schemes here in Australia. With a decent uh, yield? Yes. Yeah, it's still it's still early days, but I think it's possible. I mean, for instance, I notice. I think um, I don't think it was you. Somebody said, "Look at the below average returns consistently in the aged care sector." For instance, which has been another one cited. The aged care sector is not making money. You know, that's another whole discussion. So, why would you be encouraging um, superannuation funds to go into this to solve this systemic problem? Well, I think that's a really good case in point. Look, I, I think sort of speaking as economists at a broad level, there's often a difference between the commercial return on an investment and the, the social return that, that can come on top of that. Um, you know, providing our kids with, with secondary education is something that has no commercial return or very little commercial return but has enormous social benefit. And, you know, we're not going to ask banks, private investors, superannuation funds to invest in that. That's the role of government to uh, pay for that. And that's what we pay our tax dollars for, to try and do something that is of social value. And, um, you know, when you get to these propositions where you say, well, look, the commercial return's a bit light to invest in, but we think it's socially valuable, it's really up for the government to plug that gap. So if social housing requires more dollars from government, and then the question is, where do the where do the investment dollars come from? Sure, they can come from super funds. Same with aged care. Same with green energy. But it's not a shortcut for the government to say we're not going. But to they're not stand saying that. But they're not things. saying that, are they? They're just calling. They're saying, can we be clever? I think they're saying this anyway. Can we be clever and look at whether there is a win-win um, in trying to tackle some of these systemic problems? Given that we've, which and in tackling them, um, assist workers, particularly, say, key workers, by actually being clever around the use of this enormous pot of money, which we didn't think we'd have 10 years ago. I think that's exactly the concern. So you can read the Treasurer's comments, you know, in, in a couple of different ways, and one can read Mr Keating's comments in a couple of different ways. You know, one version of them is to say it's just a tie-breaking thing and why don't you look to Australia instead of Italy if it's the same thing. Another version is a little more nefarious, which says no one will really notice if you get a 1% lower return by investing in aged care facilities in Australia in your super fund. So why don't we just sort of lean on them to do that? And, uh, you know, that would come, if that's what is being proposed or if that's what happens, that would come directly at the expense of the members who've been told they have to spend 10 to 12% of their current income, give it up and save for their own retirement and, you know, in many cases give up on the aged pension as a result of that. And for better or worse, Mr Keating created a system, it's a system that I'm personally in favour of, that created private retirement savings accounts in Australia and it's the individual member's money. And that's why we have, as Matthew said, these fiduciary duties that say you've got to take care of the member's interests. And anything that impinges upon that I think is quite concerning. What? So I, I, Go on, Martin. Sorry, Gerald, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I, I understand there's a straw man there that's being built up, um, but, uh, you know, in reality, I, I don't think that that's going to be what's being asked uh, or what's being proposed uh, by the government in, in, uh, in opening up this debate. Uh, I think what they're thinking about is, you know, 
to the extent that there may be a, a need for private sector capital, uh, noting what I said before around government balance sheets being maxed out, um, there are things which governments can do to affect the risk return profile of that investment um, to ensure that it stacks up on a risk-adjusted basis so it's competitive with other types of investments. So, you know, governments can do that in a number of different ways. They can de-risk uh, a range of things associated with uh, affordable housing, for instance. Um, they can uh, they can provide uh, a top-up to the returns because we know in affordable housing, by definition, the, the rents are below market rents. Um, so there is a challenge there in terms of being able to make it stack up on uh, on a on a risk adjusted return basis, and that's potentially the role which governments can well, play. Well, that's a so subsidy, they, isn't it? Th- well, they've announced this um, housing affordability future fund, so they're putting ten billion dollars in that, and then the income stream they want to use uh, to help roll out thirty thousand. Uh, affordable dwelling units, and you know, maybe a smart way to think about that—that uh, that income stream that's coming from the fund—is to help shape that risk return profile for institutional investors who'd be prepared to invest for the long term, get good returns for members. And I think we do need to recognise. I'd probably say that the funds have had some would be underexposed thinking about. Um, the investment universe which is available to them. You know, there's uh, $3.5 trillion in super, but there's $10 trillion in residential housing stock and the fund's exposure is uh, relatively limited to date. And they've got much more significant investments in commercial property, for instance, and we've seen through COVID that, you know, there are some risks there uh, which the funds will be thinking about. Look, you know, as we continue to diversify our portfolios, um, there's good reasons why they want to have exposure in this space. Um, I mean, there's going. To, it, it's interesting what you're alluding to there. Uh, you obviously feel that uh, there would there are opportunities that the super funds would like to have um, made available to them, if I'm hearing you correctly. But you need to do it with a bit of almost governor government as lender of last resort. Is is that is that what I'm hearing? Sort of thing. Uh, well, look. I mean, this is the case. Um, this is the case with uh, it's it's been used quite uh, quite often in the infrastructure space. So we think about um, uh, public transport infrastructure. So in Melbourne um, is uh, Southern Cross Station. Um, it uh, it uh, is a project whereby uh, the industry funds came together through IFM investors to provide the capital to construct Southern Cross Station and uh, and operate it. Uh, there's a lease. And there's an availability payment because it was recognised that the commercial tenancies, for instance, in that precinct wouldn't be sufficient to uh, be able to make the return on capital. The government provides an availability payment to top up those returns to ensure that that investors are fairly compensated. Um, so that's that's an example where the the, the, the government has come and provided a mechanism uh, to uh, attract, uh, in, you know, long-term institutional investment. We use it in innovation. So there's a medical research commercialisation fund which has been well, the established. CEFC does something like this too. Yeah, where, mm. where you know, effectively uh, institutional investors in effect co-invest alongside, uh, alongside the government in that fund and the government chooses to take a smaller portion of the returns generated from all the terrific ideas are being generated in the medical research space, noting that there's benefits which governments obtain 
through those uh, through those uh, those medical. So they pass up some of the capital gain, in other words, in order. Correct. Okay, right. Yep. What do you think about that, Richard Holden, as a way of thinking? I think that's exactly the right way of thinking, which is, you know, it's a good example of the government providing a top-up in terms of extra returns or reduced risk that turns something that's commercially not quite viable but socially productive into something that's both socially productive and commercially viable. just requires that top-up. That top-up can come in a number of different ways, uh, you know, subsidising the social housing, de-risking assets, the availability fees can come in a number of different ways and depends on the asset in, in question. But it's that step that's crucial and trying to shortcut that and just strong arm super funds into investing into something that doesn't have a commercial return is, I think, the concern. Now, maybe it is, as Matthew said, it's just a straw person and, you know, that's not what's being proposed, then that's great. But I think we just need to be careful that government's not taking that shortcut in providing something that is actually in the members' interest to invest in. I think this is a debate that's going to go on. A very interesting gentleman. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, Matthew Linden and Richard Holden. Thanks, Thanks very much. And Matthew is uh, Deputy Chief Executive of Industry Super Australia, Richard Holden, a Professor of Economics at uh, UNSW. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.